Hi everyone. A month or so after the recording of this interview, our guest Mary Johayan discovered that she had advanced esophageal cancer. She made the hard decision to greet this new chapter without intervention as she had been through aggressive cancer treatment in the past. Things have unfortunately taken a hard turn over the last week and we have worked together to present this conversation as her final comment on dreams in life and love. She believes, and we are heartbrokenly honored, that her last public offering to the value of dreams be within the context of several of her own. And with a seriously heavy heart, on behalf of me, Jason, and I'm sure I speak on behalf of all of the dreaming community and everybody that you've touched with your dreams that you were an incredibly beautiful and special woman and you really wedged your way into all of our hearts. We, we deeply thank you for your contribution to dreams. You really were someone special who'd, who, who really left a mark on my heart. I love you. And without further ado, we give you Mary Jo. Our modern Western culture places little to no value on the power of our nightly dreams to inspire, shift, and reorganize our lives. This podcast demands a deep reconsideration of the role dreams play on our path to a more vital and meaningful life. The following is living proof of the life-affirming power of dreams to affect change and redirect the trajectory of our inner and outer lives. These are the dreams that shape us. Our trauma and personal wounding and pain are typically areas of our lives we would rather not have to ever go back into again. And yet, as our guest Mary Jo Hyen says, our dreams have the audacity to bring us back into connection and conversation with these places within us all the time. And if we are to be in true relationship with our dreams, and truly with ourselves, these are places we must go. Because as painful as they are, that pain we experienced is valid. And those parts of ourselves still wrecked and haunted by that grief are necessary, vital, and beautiful aspects of ourselves that are in such need of our belonging. But as the two of us discuss in dreams, we rarely are tasked with going back into these places alone. So please join us as we are about to explore the deeply tender way that dreams help walk us into the heart of our grief, to give our hearts to our grief. I hope you enjoy. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Dreams That Shape Us podcast. I'm your co-host, Steve Erninwine, and I am here today with my good friend, Mary Jo Hyen. 
Uh, thank you so much for being here on the show with us today. Really, I'm so excited to have a real legit conversation with you today. Thank you, Steve. I um, I so appreciate any um, invitation to speak about dreams. And yet I would want to add that um, before you started the recording, you had us uh, feel into an intention for today. And the word that came up for me was vulnerable, mm-hmm. vulnerability, and that the way you are in conversation in the dreams that shape us is inviting us into this precious conversation with our vulnerability. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, that's that's been our big aim is to really as deep as our dreams reaching for us to like really honor the depths of these stories and the way that they really go to work on our lives to, to just really allow these conversations that we have about the dreams to really tap that same vein and it's really been so beautiful and so healing to to bear witness um yeah so yeah so today we're uh going to be discussing three really profound dreams that mary joe had uh that really have went to work on shaping her life. Uh, These dreams have really helped her find a really incredible sense and source of healing and have really put her on the path to extending that uh, opportunity to other people through facilitating dream work herself. And I think what you'll bear witness to most profoundly, I think, through this conversation we'll see i don't know <laughs> mm-hmm. this is just my uh my inkling is that uh we'll really be showcasing just how tender uh dreams walk you into some of this really hard material at times that's not to say dreams don't throw uh certain material in your face uh but man when it's just really, really something the way that they walk you right into this material at times in such a beautiful and tender way. So really looking forward to exploring all of that with you today. So, um, yeah, so I guess leading into this first dream, if you want to give just a little bit of the lead up and yeah, just you can go right into the dream. Okay. Um, And the reason I think as listeners will hear today, the three dreams I selected um, back to that word intentional is um, I have wonderful, glorious um, dreams of loving and feeling loved. And yet when I received your invitation and I look in the title again of the dreams that shape us, I have to turn, I have to turn to, where have the dreams invited me into healing? And that usually is in that place where there's uh, a deep feeling, mm-hmm. a challenging feeling. And so I I go right away to my very first remembered dream, and that was when I was four. And um, I'll share the dream in a moment. And why it stayed with me, Steve, and shaped me is that Upon awakening, even at age four, I knew something was up. (laughs) (laughs) There was something afoot. So let me share the dream. And then um, if you have a question or I can speak about it. So in the dream, very brief dream, I'm standing at the 
top of the stairs in the house I lived in at four at the top of the stairs. And I feel a, just a flutter, a movement in what I would now call my solar plexus. And I lifted up and I floated down the stairs to the bottom landing. And it was so much fun. It was it, it, just delicious. And I'd climb back up the stairs and do it again and again. Um, and it was it was a wonderful dream. And when I woke up the next morning, I stood at the top of the stairs. I remember this, and this is almost 70 years later. I tried to move my body in that way, where I could just feel that energy and move. And I couldn't. And so even at age four, um, there was a feeling in my body, a visceral feeling in my body that was no longer there. Wow. And it at, at age four, it confused me. I was saddened by it. And it stayed with me, um, well, to this day. And then there's a um, another event later I can share, but I want to see if you have any questions before I take that forward a little bit. Well, I think uh, mostly I just want to say how amazed I am. I mean, to think that at four years old that this dream impacted you so deeply that it stuck with you all this time. Like, um. I mean, my son right now is five, mm. and I don't know if he's had any dreams that have really impacted him that deeply. There's there's one dream he shares with me that he's he's said a few times. He knows how into dreams I am, and so sometimes I think he makes up stories. <laughs> <laughs> like Carl Jung says, but it's coming from your subconscious. <laughs> I know. It's, a, it's almost like he starts off telling it truthfully and then all of a sudden you see him looking around the room and he starts like adding things to it it almost feels like um but there's one that he's repeated verbatim a couple times um about being at his grandfather's house and being in prison or that there's like a prison in the basement mm -hmm. and i was like wow that's really something <laughs> i'm really curious about that so yeah i just i'm really just amazed that um that this dream really set you forth because i think in your notes that you gave me uh you had mentioned that this dream in particular really like made you aware that you had lost something really special yes or a connection with something special and that just that awareness at such a young age follows you through your life and you, i can just see how that simple little sweet dream could affect you so deeply that you'd carry it through the rest of your life and uh really had gone to work on you and i mean looking at the dream itself it doesn't seem like that would be the dream that would really stick with you for that long but just like the awareness that it gave you was so i don't know the word i'm looking for right now but because i don't think jarring is quite the right word but um at least like yeah made you aware of something so deeply profound that i yeah, just followed you like that that's really something I agree. And, and perhaps rather than jarring, I hear, you know, what is the word there? What I would suggest is, because this is how it felt for me, that by age four, already something was being kept alive in me. Mm -hmm. This awareness that there's something in our dreams. And even for your son, even if he's doing a 
you know, elaborating and enhancing. He, uh, just what I'm hearing is here's a five-year-old who knows our dreams are coming to us each night and talking mm-hmm. to us and can, wanting to be in relationship with us. And, and that that's, that's keeping that alive in him. And so um, what I knew at age four was I was confused. I didn't, you know, of course, I didn't have the process to know what was happening, but that there was a way I had known myself that I didn't know anymore. And then um, it was almost 60 years later. I live in Estes Park, Colorado, beautiful mountain town. And I was driving to um, speak to a grief group about their dreams of their deceased loved ones. And as I was driving over, this dream at four years old came back into me full tilt. And I actually had to pull over to the side of the road for a minute because I started to cry. Mm-hmm. That there was something I had been connected to that I was no longer feeling accessible to me. And what I felt was grief. There was a Mm -hmm. sense of that was the feeling at four I couldn't articulate. I felt a sense of loss. And I know that we don't lose it permanently, but just by taking human birth, I think that 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 memory gets frayed. And I felt grief. Wow. And I would say that's what was kept alive in me, that now in my body, because I knew the visceral feeling, in my heart, the, the joy. And that was my call at age four to remember my, who I really am. And I think that's our call for all of us in our dreams. Yeah, definitely. We, yeah, we simply forgot. It's very gentle. We just forgot. Yeah, that's, oof. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that takes that whole that whole dream to a whole nother level, and mm. just yeah, wow. I can't even articulate it. That's really beautifully. I think you did a better job than I could try to do right mm-hmm. now. And I would add here um, that because I hadn't thought of this um, to, actually till a few years ago. So that dream kept alive in me that there was this joy that our dreams know a part of us that we forgot and i didn't include it in my notes to you and i probably should have um my dad had been a prisoner of war during world war ii and he spent three and a half years in prison camp so my entire childhood about once a week he would wake up screaming in terror wow and we didn't know about ptsd back then um but and then you know he'd wake up and he'd kind of make it light for us because it's scary to hear your father (laughs) afraid in the night um and that also so here was the joy of flying down the stairs but also dreams were coming constantly through him Mm. and what was this world coming into him that uh and these memories and these flashbacks through his dreams through his dreams so i would say um nothing mystical or magical in my childhood but dreams were very very present wow 
Yeah, I could see that definitely having a very big impact on you also. Uh, yeah, I had a friend when I was in elementary school who his father was in Vietnam. Mm. And the same kind of thing, like we couldn't be very loud if we made big, loud, booming noises or just shrilling, screaming or <laughs> whatever could could trigger uh, flashbacks and stuff for him. And so that was like really sobering for me to have experience too, because I never had to even consider anything like that before that. And man, like it's just witnessing his dad and just seeing, you could just see it in his eyes and his face, mm. um, just how kind of tortured he was inside. And just knowing the power that is in there that can <laughs> take us for a ride, really. Yeah, yeah. And the the word that's coming to me as you're speaking, and that's actually what we're going to kind of move forward to in some of my dreams here is that there is this way our dreams take us back to these trauma moments. Mm -hmm. You know, for your friend's dad, a loud noise drops him right back in. Yeah. Even if the intellectual mind can say it's not happening, the, the body right. says, oh, yes, it is. Um, so our dreams do, um, they don't want to re-traumatize us. That's not been my experience with them in any way. But they do want to be able to take us to these moments where there was trauma and heal that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Before we move on to the next couple, uh, there is one dream that I do remember from when I was probably right around that age, too. I was, I had to have been about five, maybe six. And this is the earliest dream that I can remember. And actually, while you were talking about, um, I can't remember exactly how you just said it, but uh, just the joy in remembering something deep about yourself that upon awakening you had forgotten. Uh, my father had built me this spaceship bed. See, he's, he's pretty uh, handy with woodworking. And yeah, this is the earliest dream I remember. I remember falling asleep in it and the spaceship bed erected itself and blasted off through my ceiling and up into mm. space. And I just remember being in space and just feeling such an exhilaration that I'd never felt before. And just so proud that my space shuttle bed really could actually fly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, without really realizing, I think that probably had carried me through also I mean, I always had very vivid dreams, but I never really, I always appreciated them when I had them, but I didn't know what to do with them or anything like that. So, but yeah, I mean, knowing the path that has unfolded for me to think back on an experience like that, it feels very similar to what you had where um, just filled me with this joy of realizing that there is something there mm -hmm. for me. And yeah, so... Well, and I want to say a rhyme here that because this is, you know, we speak how our dreams are so unique to each of us. Um, in I listened to your interview and you spoke, you spoke about Coco and the spaceships and here back <laughs> at five or six, you, you're, <laughs> that's the ground from which you were coming into dreams. Mm -hmm. There is that, you know, it used, it used what you um, can relate to and know, which is so beautiful. How our dreams yeah. are so unique to each of us. 
Uh, is there anything else that you want to add um, to this part of the conversation? Um, no, I think, I think again, you know, because there's this thread going through as we're speaking is this way the dreams want to keep things alive in us. They're, um, their kind way, I would say, doesn't mean it's easy, but their kind way is <laughs> we're about to see um, that they want to take us back to these moments that um, that kept us in the forgetting. I don't mm. know if I've said it that way before, but it feels like that. What, what, why do we stay in the forgetting of who we are? Well. Because maybe we are afraid of the remembering. Hmm. Um, and wow. I think this next dream uh, is very po potent and poignant for me in this way. Awesome. Yeah. So I think to lead into this dream, if you could, because these next two dreams, they're only a few weeks apart. Is that what I read correct? Yeah. Wow. Um, that's pretty impressive that they're that close. So yeah, if you could paint the picture of kind of where you are in your life. Um, because these next two dreams are so close in proximity. Are you saying where I was in my life at that time? Yeah, just kind of yeah. give okay. us, yeah, it was just kind of like a lead up and. So an, an real briefly, um, after I, I, I was a public school education teacher for almost 30 years, an awesome chapter of my life, wonderful working with teenagers. And when I retired, I immediately went back full tilt, focusing on my dreams. Um, and studied quite a bit, but nothing was calling me in until I began working with my own dream teacher named Roger Kamenetz. And um, I had never done anything like that before, so this was way at my edge. And our very first session, and this is again, I just bow to the dream wisdom. The very first session um, came a dream that showed me how removed I was I had become from my own experience. And that and this dream set me on a trust of the dreams, even though it's painful, as we'll hear in a moment. Um, and I guess I would say the way back, the way home. Mm -hmm. So should I share the dream and then? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So this is the so imagine I I I have these uh i mean our dreams want to be in a relationship with us in conversation with us and i feel like they're just waiting in the wings going oh she's going to talk about a dream let's give her this one because here we go so um in the dream i'm skating on an upper balcony of a long balcony of a building and i'm trying to avoid small frozen pools i don't want to break through the ice down below, two stories below, I see a large elk lying on the ground and it's being attacked by another elk. His side has a huge gash. I mean, it is a huge gash, bloodied and open. There's a crowd of people watching. A young man starts walking away from the scene carrying the elk's bloody rack of antlers. I'm horrified. From the balcony, I yell, that's against the law. That's against the law. It turns into a chant that everybody picks up. And we're all saying that's against the law. So before we drop into this, I couldn't, I, I, I say this um, with a blush. 
I couldn't wait to work this dream because I thought um, my dream teacher, Roger, would say, well, what a good person you are. You want to, you know, protect the national park system, mm. which is baloney anyway, because we have we have antlers um, that the elk and the deer drop. Um, but it didn't go that way at all. It didn't go that way at all. Of course. And I, I am a child of the 60s, so I would have probably had them making protest signs and all that, too. But um. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So would you, um, I, I want to leave space if you have a question or if I should just go into what really then did happen in that session. Um, yeah, I think if, uh, I guess without much context, I'd, I'd be just kind of shooting in the dark here. So okay, okay. Yeah, why don't you just kind of open it up and, and we'll, uh, yeah. My, my main question is why an elk? Um, that's a great question. Um, and again, it could be that I, you know, um, that our dreams seem to pull from our personal circumstances. And I, I live in the, in a cabin in the woods in the middle of the mountains, the Rocky mountains. Mm. And so uh, the window I'm looking out uh, could have elk go by deer, bear, for sure. They prowl around not this time of year, uh, mountain lions. So they are the denizens of where I live. No. And so this, so the simple answer may be, I can relate to this immediately. Gotcha. Yeah. That that's my guess why. And it's a, and it's a huge majestic animal to see an animal, you know, elk are just amazing creatures and to see this huge elk and they have huge racks of antlers on the ground, mm. torn his side torn open is indeed horrific. Yeah. So in this, very first uh, session where I actually worked a dream with another person. Um, there were so many opportunities here to really be in the dream and feel the dream. But what it was showing me is I didn't do that. And I'll say more about that in a moment. I went right to my mind. I went right to my mind, which we could even say is the conditioned mind where I had learned there's right or wrong, good and bad, following mm. the rules. And that, in its own bizarre way, gave me a sense of safety. If I follow the rules, if I say the right things, then I'll be okay. Mm. When really the moment, and really isn't that the way of skating around right. frozen pools? I didn't want to feel, I did not want to feel um, I could even say it this way, Steve. I didn't know there was a feeling here until we started to work this train. <laughs> I'm starting to feel it spiral into it right now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so first we, you know, do I work for the National Park Service? No, it's not my job. So what was that moment? You know, having um, uh, a cause, being able to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. These are wonderful things in the world aren't they? Mm -hmm. That we can do that. But when we work with our dreams, we look under that. Where's that coming from? Where's that coming from? Is it coming from a place of fullness and wholeness? Um, or is it coming from a place that helps me avoid something? And so um, I didn't want to feel, I didn't, in that dream, I didn't know that I was, would have been afraid. Um, and so I, so I became this person that, that followed the rules. 
And in the dream, I was asked, you know, so look, can you look at that elk, the bloodied elk, and what's there for you? And it was heartbreaking to see, but I still couldn't get to it. I went to, it was actually, I would say it's a reaction. I couldn't go to that place. I had to get, um, you know, that righteous indignation about the antlers. Hmm. And that, that looks and sounds like a real feeling, but it isn't. It really is an avoidance of feeling. And what was hmm. that feeling? It was going to be the pain. Yeah. The pain. Um, that... And this is, you can hear it in my voice because I get always get touched by our dreams. That the exquisiteness, one of the exquisitenesses of this dream is the dream knew it couldn't show me as the one with that painful gaping wound. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. And so it brought that, how kind they are. And back to that word challenging, they're not going to back up but they're kind and so it brought it first as an elk that had a huge wound and he was about maybe 50 feet away meaning I I was still that removed from it and so there was this image our dreams have images that carry feelings and there was this image of this elk with this great wound and my trade-off was I'll speak for other peoples. I'll put up the call for righteous indignation. And it was a trade-off. So I didn't have to feel my pain. Yeah, I suppose it's easier to to bark at the guy that's, to scream at the guy that's uh, carrying the antlers and not yeah. having to feel yeah. the, the pain and the wound. Yeah. And so we can... You know, and that's why I'm so grateful for another set of eyes and another heart looking at my dreams, because we can so easily misunderstand them ourselves. It it helps to have somebody else say, well, what's that? Um, And so in that place, there were the frozen pools. And I wanted to skate around them. And then I was asked, "Well, well, deeper, what do you feel about that? What do you feel about that? And I often say this. Um, I never thought, Steve, the hardest question I would ever be asked is what do you feel? Hmm. It stunned me. I had nothing. I had learned to have opinions and, <laughs> um, and you know, ways of being in the world. But they, they weren't what our, I find our dreams want us to feel. And what was that? Because they mine were under those frozen pools of ice. Wow. Yeah. And so in that moment, all I, I, I couldn't, I can't say in that first dream session, I felt that great pain. But it was an invitation. I did trust the dream that it was bringing this great pain to me in the image of the elk. And to be with that. And that to, to begin to feel into that I, I always say to the dream clients i work with can you just take a sip of this hmm. you don't have to gulp the whole thing down it can feel um, overwhelming could i take a sip that this may be an image of my pain yeah and you can almost see that in the fact that you're up on a balcony mm-hmm. removed from the actual scene itself also 
Beautiful. That's that, that, you know, we can often say to a dreamer, how far are you away from that? <laughs> can you take, and, and, um, you know, can I take a step closer to the elk? Well, then that ups mm. the ante and oh, then yeah. feelings may start to come, come in. You know, we don't say go right over, but can you take a step? And that may be enough to, to have things start to rise in us and reveal themselves. Wow. Yeah, I just really, I love, I wasn't sure what to make of the, the skating around the pools when you sent me that dream. Uh, but man, what a beautiful portrayal of, of that situation. And your whole notion of not wanting to fall in them mm. and realizing that's actually where you need to go <laughs> yeah these images of frozen oh, right man. because if they thaw it's you know it's uh-oh yeah and even though i didn't know that in the dream the dream knows that that if, or there, let me say it this way there's a part of me that does know mm -hmm. the 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 a part of me that hasn't lost connection to that one at four years old that could feel the joy Wow. But, but to get back to that, we've got it. We, we, we feel our way back and things have to start thawing because um, if things are frozen, let me see how I want to say this. Um, we don't get to do this a la carte. If things are frozen, then everything's frozen. So if I freeze to my pain, then I'm also frozen to my love. And I won't get the full depth of that. If I freeze to my fear, um, then I won't get to feel my vulnerability. So um, the dreams want us to be able to feel everything. Beautifully said. Man, that's so true. And I hear this in, when I hear you speak of dreams is then it, for me, a definition of soul is the capacity to feel everything. Mm -hmm. I have the, to, the, can we recover the way that we can be with our, our deepest grief and not bypass it and also be with, then we get to be in, when we're in our joy and we really get the depth of that too. That's what's waiting under those frozen pools. Wow. Mm. Yes, I agree. Wow. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to once more just really honor how dreams do. They they allow you not to get the direct hit often mm. like we see here with, with the elk until you're ready for it. Um, I think that's really something to, like you said, like you brought this to the guy and excited. <laughs> <laughs> like there was no direct hit at all um, no no this could have just been a just a run-of-the-mill dream for you and then all of a sudden as you start to really just wade into it oh my god it just like really brings you into some super thick feelings like wow and as you're willing to wade deeper, it just opens itself even more to you. I think that's just, man, such a testament to how dreams do that. It really like, man, they, they really just blossom 
deeper for you the more you're you're willing to brave that that level of vulnerability with them and yeah i think it does it like welcomes you back to yourself it it really because i mean you're retrieving that part of yourself that's that's frozen that you're not willing to go into and retrieving that deeply hurt and wounded part of yourself that you you haven't been willing to sit with that you've been removed from so i think man it's just so amazing like you said you probably said it better than i did but um yeah just how sweetly they just easily walk you right up to the front door of all of that (laughs) oh man yeah and i find that um one and i think this is something many of us share is we feel whether it's through our dreams which is which for me is such a trustworthy field but that things will be too much for us Mm -hmm. the dreams will ask too much of us and um which can then be overwhelming but too much almost is a judgment too um what i find is they they don't ask too much but they do ask so much they are yeah. relentless. They right. They're not going to give up on us. They're not giving up on us. They come every night. I mean, yeah. could we be as faithful friends to the people in our lives as our dreams are to us? And so they do ask so much when we're ready. And then this word, this precious word, vulnerable. Um, I believe isn't the root of vulnerable wound. We 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 cover this capacity that we can be wounded. And we, we, we will be wounded. My father always used to say, I guarantee you. And, he, and so I would say, using quoting my father, I guarantee you, we, if we work with our dreams, we will feel our wounds. We will feel mm. our pain. We will feel all of it. And yet it's a recovered capacity to, to who we truly are. Then we get to be embodied and ensouled. And what a precious opportunity as humans to get to experience that. Yeah, I think as as painful as it sounds to want to go into those kind of areas, man, when you actually do it, like I was kind of touching on earlier, like it feels like you're coming home. It feels like you're really retrieving a part of yourself that you lost contact with. And a lot of those parts of us that get wounded and kind of shoved down because, you know, we can't always deal with it in the moment uh, to get those parts of us back when we're willing to go into those waters. That's beautiful. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it's painful, but it's... I don't know, for me, having done a lot of that work, it just, I wouldn't trade it for the world because, man, I I can't even find the right words to say right now, but it just like, I I guess like a quote that I've said in a couple episodes was uh, Martin Martin Prechtel said that Mm -hmm. grief is praise because it's uh, the natural way that love honors what it misses. Love honors what it misses. Yeah, and so when we go into that grief, uh, oftentimes it transforms into praise because we we touch base with how removed we've been from that part of ourselves. 
and oh man you realize how much of yourself you've been without and there's just nothing but praise that can be had <laughs> at that point for, for being able to retrieve that part of yourself that you didn't even realize you were so uh so without and i mean there's still a lot of grief but it's it's like praiseful grief it's yeah yeah what you're saying is so poetic which is actually our dreams have this poetry quality and and who would think that things like um feelings like deep grief pain fear become these odd companions Mm -hmm. that we welcome doesn't and i will always say it doesn't make it any less difficult to feel them to the (laughs) depth but when we see them coming they become trusted companions and i love your word retrieve because um and this leads into this next dream and what i was kind of saying earlier with regards to trauma our dreams want to take us back to these moments not to re-traumatize us but when we have traumatic experiences, um, and they may they maybe don't even have to be traumatic, but they they keep separating and fraying our memory of of soul, and we shut down to frozen pools. We have dreams of locking doors, pushing people out. It's what that when we do what we need to do to survive, everything gets locked up back there. Mm-hmm. So not just our fear our pain it all gets locked back there and the dreams take us back to say let's go back and get what got left back there of the beauty of the love of the soul capacity our creativity all of the the juiciness of who we are that got left back there because it wasn't um recognized valued or beloved in the world yeah so true I was trying to think of a really good dream that I had that showed the same kind of removal where it allowed me to kind of take the direct hit later. One way, like you said, and and, and I so agree with you, is the physical distance in a dream. Another way uh, I see very often, and I'm saying this in case it... it um, remind you of something if we're watching something on a video or a tv screen or even on our phones we could we could call that way of being in relationship because that's what our Mm -hmm. dreams want for us is it's mediated am i watching on a screen and i see this with a lot of dreamers some accident some crisis because just like the bloody elk that was far away we get to see it distant from ourself but that image is there for us and starting to come in but first in that way that's still a little bit um removed mm-hmm. yeah the the one most present in my mind is uh one i shared in our origins episode where me and jason talked about our origins and doing dream work and uh it's a little later on where I talk about a dream that I had that I feel kind of showed me one of my core wounds. And it starts me off in this, I have like a mask on, like a sleep mask. And 
but I can like see down it. It's like a tunnel almost. And there's this beautiful classical music that's just pouring forth through that mask. And it's just so heavenly and divine. And I just can't get enough of it. And I feel so taken care of. Mm -hmm. And then I take the mask off in the dream. (laughs) And I'm in like this completely, uh, it's like an underworld of sorts where I'm staring at this kind of circular encagement where there's this man that has a tree that's growing through his body Mm. that's kind of like piercing his solar plexus area and sprouting out the front of him uh just kind of like a sapling like a thick sapling and he's in terrible pain Mm. and he's on fire (laughs) and it's the most horrific uh scene that i i've ever witnessed like i can't even look at him half the time like i i peek my eyes at him and then it's it's so horrific that I have to keep looking back away and I become lucid because I realize that uh this should not be happening yeah yeah (laughs) and I I make it rain in the dream and the dream ends and it wasn't for many years after that that I even really understood what that dream meant I I just thought it was just a really intense and terrifying nightmare and didn't really think too much about it. Kind of like, kind of like what I said earlier, where you could, this dream of yours, you could easily just, you could have not shared it. Mm-hmm. You could have, it could have never fully revealed itself. Um, if you didn't wade a little deeper into it, this one, it, it really grabs you pretty hard, but, um, I still wasn't making the connection that that was me in that engagement. And it wasn't until, let's see, I probably had that dream in 2009. And I don't think it was until like 2016 that I realized the true depth of what that dream held for me. And uh, when my shadow journey really started in 2012, uh, this knot, and my solar plexus became like a, a felt experience for me. And it still wasn't a few years later in doing a lot of work with that until I like really thought back on that, that particular dream. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's, mm. this is a, a wound that I've been nursing. And, and I have this dream image of this warrior, like, cause the man was huge. He was buff and, but he was rend- rendered so, uh, so weak because of this wound and it seemed like such a correlation to like my own masculine warrior energy uh which has been which in my eyes has always felt at odds in in some capacity where i don't have good warrior energy like i I have had such a hard time my whole life like standing up for myself and setting boundaries and at the same time if those lines get crossed to a certain extent the the lashback or like the 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 rubber band uh snapback is over the top it's it's like uh just allowing my soul to get trampled on so much that the mm. yeah the lashback from that ends up um being a little over exaggerated and so i i've known that the work energy was pretty unhealthy for a lot of my life and uh 
so i mean this image is huge for a lot of things and for me knowing how much of the work that i've been doing to me the fact that it's a tree feels like it's tied ancestrally um and also collectively, like I had a dream last year that kind of gave a new spin on it that maybe that's part of the world, world tree that's also connected to my ancestry, but also it's it feels like such a collective wound the way that I understand it now that um, there's so much to that image. And the more I was, I was willing to actually lean into all of that pain um, that is so... <laughs> visible with that image um man it just really continues to open for me in such a beautiful way that even a strikingly hard uh, image of personal pain really as you are willing to go into it offers so much tenderness of having compassion for yourself and uh yeah just yeah it just yeah really has been a dream that as hard as it was at the time and as i mean like it it took me that long to turn into it because it was that yeah that hard to to swallow at the time and the other part of it too was that that was kind of at the point of like my spiritual honeymoon phase i just kind of discovered my spiritual side that year and so the first part of the dream was like where i thought i was I was in this tunnel of just this divine bliss and thought that I had overcome so much and that I was in this really great place in my life. And then I take the mask off, which now that I say it like that feels pretty, mm. <laughs> pretty metaphorical. Yeah. Um, here, here is a, a very stark reality that still is just as true as inside of me that needs addressing. And so kind of like what you said, like the dream doesn't flinch like it wants you to go there um yeah <laughs> and these are and I, I, I just as we're speaking here today we can see why people may be hesitant to do dream work and yet it's and and i get i so get that but it's also it's, it's such a a true sacred um way home and how mm -hmm. do we be with um these difficult images that as you recognize is an image of you yeah this this encaged man and and i do have to say um one of the words as you were speaking that struck me in this image was sapling mm. what is a sapling and the tenderness of a sapling that there's something very sweet and um new and fresh and vulnerable in a sapling um and that image is just full of so much. And yet here's this sapling that's coming through this man. And it's your um, image in your dream, the tender one, the fragile one, the vulnerable one. Wow, thank you for that. That's not anything that I've ever felt into that. That's, wow, that brings a whole new dimension to that. I'm going to have to sit with that for a little while. Mm -hmm. That actually like offers me that offers me more tenderness for that image. Wow. What if our greatest, you know, you speak about the the warrior energy, um, all these ways we use the word power and um a way that we might speak of our dreams is because power can be over 
others or in a situation, but just maybe the word uh, I lean towards is potency, because potency is something that comes from within. And that what if our greatest potency is this, as we've, as we've been saying throughout this morning, our greatest potency is our capacity to feel our tenderness, our vulnerability, mm. our pain, our fear, that that is, that is the, the substance and essence of beingness for us. Yes, yes. Wow. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Definitely agree with that. Mm. Do you want to move into your, your final dream? Sure, sure. And again, um, or I I'll guess, is there it. anything final you want to speak to that last dream? Um, I think the one thing again, I think I, I already said this is that it really did. It turned my understanding of the way of looking at a dream, um, 180 that we could look at the surface of the dream as as many of us do and even want to and yet here underneath that's such an important word underneath the um the narrative underneath what i thought the dream was about mm. if we are willing to look with with to turn again and look again with um different eyes we get to see something different and more importantly we get to feel something different i um often say that part of what happened to all of us even if we had the best of lives and i hope they're all out there that have but you know most of us have had difficulties in our lives but what happens is we learn to um see with wounded eyes we hear with wounded ears we think with wounded minds we even speak with wounded voices. And what the dreams want to help us do is to heal those ways. Where when we look at something, we don't go into, um, as we've both shared here, that place of reaction. We really can see it clearly. We can hear things clearly. And, and that's one of the, again, one of the great gifts of the dream is to invite us into this healing that, and I want to say it this way, this is nothing new. This is not a self-improvement program or becoming a better version of Steve or a better version of Mary Jo. It's back to that word, remembering. This is mm. who I am. This is how I, when I'm in the world from this embodied and sold place, this is how I, I get to be in the world because I remember. And then very sweetly, it gives permission to others to start to be in the world from that place as well. Very beautifully said. Yeah. Man. So this um, third and final dream, uh, I, I, I shared this with you. I have written about this dream. I have never spoken about it. So this will be the first time I speak about, other than when I worked it in my dream session, um, this will be the first time I speak publicly about it. Um, and so that back to that word vulnerable, <laughs> that very yeah. deep sharing. Yeah. I'm very and, honored. Mm, thank you. Well, and there, thank you for saying that. And then I think the word we haven't met, well, we have said we trust our dreams, but then we find we can be in these trusted conversations too when we can be in our vulnerability and I hear that in you, then that makes you trustworthy 
And mm -hmm. when I can be in my vulnerability, then I can be with another in theirs and it helps us be trustworthy. We can yeah. trust each other. In these, in these conversations and explorations, we really need to have. So um, this was, I'm going to say, I could look, I don't have my journal here, but this was maybe two weeks after the elk dream. So I, I have a feeling. So here was the elk dream removed from um, the wound as my own distant. And then um, I had this dream. So if you're ready, I can go ahead and share this. Yeah, please do. So I'm going to, I think I'll read it if everybody's okay with that. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in the front passenger seat of a large old sedan being driven by a man I don't know. I feel small sitting in this huge car. I'm suddenly aware that he's driving down the road that leads to my mother's house. I look over at him and am about to ask why he's going there. I want to protest, but I don't even open my mouth. I know there's no point. He's doing this. We top the hill and my mother's house comes into view. The house is there, but the outside is very different. It's a ramshackle painted in an ugly green. Right before the house is a makeshift fence made of scrap metal and flattened tin cans, all the same ugly green. The whole scene looks like a war zone. He pulls off to the side of the road where it dead ends. He gets out of the car and takes a step towards the house. I'm still sitting in the passenger seat turned sideways with my feet hanging out of the car. I see little sneakers on my feet. I just sit there slumped over. I don't want to do this. I'm afraid of how my mother will react when she sees it's me. I feel sick, nauseated, heart pounding, and I'm trying to blank out my mind. I slowly stand up and turn to face the house. I catch just a glimpse of her coming out of the garage towards us. She hasn't seen me yet as the man is standing between me and her. Wow. And in the first reading of this dream, when I worked it, um, it took a long time even to read the dream because that where I, those frozen pools, Really, mm. I broke through, and I would I was sobbing, and and I kept I wouldn't do this now, but I kept apologizing for crying. <laughs> <laughs> now I know know that that's that's actually the the liquid feeling, the liquid grace that comes through. But I was I was so back there, so terrified. Um, yeah, that dream cool. is just such such a vibe to it. It just you can just picture every part of it and such a deep quality it just like the way you wrote it the way you portray it just it literally feels like a movie scene and mm. man it's like so packed full of all kinds of depth and energy i just man it, and it and and again i we used the word trust a little bit ago and i also feel that in a way the dream trusted that it could come now after that elk dream, I was willing, I wasn't yeah. there yet. And that it then said, okay, let's go ahead and here and here now is the depth of pain. I mean, the, the whole catastrophe, pain and fear and loss. And, and it really took me to my knees. Yeah. It took me to my knees that that much, that much pain and fear, um, 
and back to that word trauma. It, I mean, the description of what I was feeling, nauseated, heart pounding, and and I that place where I want to go unconscious. Yeah. And that is that is a trauma moment. Hmm. And the dream in its audacity took me back there. Come on. <laughs> we're going back. Yeah, I like what you had how you how you worded it where you said he's taking me there and I don't even protest because it seems like no matter what I say, he's he's taking me there. And that just feels like the dream is is taking me there, whether I kick and scream about it or not. I might as well just ride with it. And yeah, I don't know. That's I just like that's how it felt listening to you speak it. Absolutely. And and the dreams taking us there. And what I would say and what what is critical here is he's taking me there. Yeah. I'm not having to go back. There's these supports in our dreams. Oftentimes we don't recognize them and we they think they're they're up to no good or some shenanigans. <laughs> and then as we explore it, you know, we go, no, they're not threatening us. Or they're, you know, I want to turn away from that one. In in the work I the way I work with dreams, we call it the sacred encounter, that there's an encounter that comes from the poet Auden, that in our dreams are sacred encounters with beings or uh, locations or objects. And do we, through our conditioning, turn away because we don't remember them? Or can we meet the encounter? So in that moment of me um, not protest. I mean, I've had dreams since where I protest, but in that, in that dream, I don't protest. So there was something in me that knew whoever mm -hmm. this guy was, he was take, he was doing this and that, and, and that I didn't have to go back there alone. Yeah. I How like many that. of us in our lives do we feel we learned early, didn't we? If it's going to get done, it's on us. The cavalry is right. not coming. We're on our own. The dreams come and undo that. No, you're not alone. Hmm. And I would suggest we never were. We just didn't know it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I really, I don't know how he feels to you, but from my outsider perspective, hearing the dream, he's he feels strong enough to where if I if this were my dream, I don't know if I would have protested either. It seems like he knows what has to be done and he's willing to stand there and and yeah to to walk you to, yeah to be there with you and is is i like the image of him standing between you and your mother mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like he's a buffer and also is willing to yeah he's willing to buffer <laughs> the encounter between you and your mother and uh yeah that's really really something so you know, I, when we yeah go ahead I, well, why don't you say what you're going to say real quick um i was going to say and we can say well who is this guy and um and we all in the way we work with our dreams individually may you know it's an inner teacher it's a part of ourself for me it for me it is um this presence of the numinous hmm. as rudolf otto calls it the holy w-h-o-l-l-y other with a capital o that there is this presence this beingness that comes and um, he knows what's going to happen in this moment. He knows that I will experience great pain, great beyond fear, great terror. Mm. Um, 
And that's why he's there because I don't have to feel those feelings. Um, I don't have to freeze those feelings anymore because now I'm supported in those feelings. Yeah. God, I love that. And I want to really special. Thank you. And, and we all have these when we start to write, look at our dreams. I want to add here um, for uh, those that are listening to us today that, you know, in these difficult dreams where we have a deep wound from um, maybe anyone, but if it comes from a parent, it's really deep because then it's, you know, it can feel like something very much missing in us that, um, so I don't, I pondered, like, what should I say about my mom? And I, you know, I don't want to go into a listing and of this and this and this, but I would say that, how would I say this, that briefly, that my mom was someone who hated herself so thoroughly and was so driven by shame. And some of us, we all can emerge and heal from that, but she didn't, Steve, she didn't. She hated herself for, and and everyone else right up into her death. And there was even this quality. I remember when you were sharing um, about your dad that he said um, that to you about your music. And you said, but it was unintentional. He didn't know the power of his words. Yeah. Um, and I agree with that. My mom was different in that she was intentionally mm-hmm. cruel. She was intentionally divisive. Um, and so that created for, well, the war zone image that's in the dream. Yeah. Child, it was a war zone of divisiveness, unsafe, terrifying. Um, and yet, so so I just want to encapsulate that. And yet the dreams don't go after these folks. They don't demonize them. They let us see who they were they let us feel their effect on us um and also and to me this is the important part we get to have our experience of that though Hmm. i can understand my mom and say well this i could explain this is the you know abc here's how it unfolded but um, the dreams say that that's not what we're trying to say here. You get to be the girl who is terrified, who is traumatized. And back to what we were saying earlier, what got left back there when everything shut down, mm-hmm. when everything shut down, what got left back there, and it took some time, but it got recovered. And I think you can hear it in my voice again. Mm-hmm. I got to recover the girl who loved her mother and the girl who needed her mother's love. I needed my mom's love. Of course I did. I loved my mother. I love her. It doesn't mean that there can be a reconciliation, that there has to be. But I got to go back there. They got what got locked back up there too. I love my mom and I needed her love. That's for me the healing medicine. That that's what I got to go back and get what was mine. That just got me a little choked up. (laughs) Mm. 
because Mary Jo brought up the father wound episode, which was my personal story of a very similar kind of situation, uh, I just wanted to show how what she's saying here, especially about the part of the fact that the dreams don't attack her mother or go after her mother for anything that had happened. I wanted to give another example of how that is reflected in my father wound dreams. And so if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go listen to that episode after this one, whenever you have time. Uh, because you get to see that in the probably six plus dreams that I share through that whole sequence, none of the fathers that appear in those dreams are my own. And that's not to say my dad doesn't ever appear in my dreams because I've been doing dream work for 17 years, so he most certainly appears in my dreams often. But the very pivotal dreams that steered me towards the healing that needed to happen was aimed towards me to go into that space and to retrieve myself. Not to blame him, not to attack him or go after him for any reason because he's a human being. But it does bring you into the true feeling of how that felt for you because it wants to validate your true feelings surrounding it even if it's not overtly attacking whoever caused you this wound, if that makes sense. And even as I shared my father wound story out there, and I shared it with a few people from a couple men's groups, uh, all of a sudden I started to wonder if my story seems really weak. <laughs> uh, and I had to realize that, well, regardless of how much tension and conflict there may have been between me and my father growing up, this was what hurt the most because it felt like this was the most important part of me. And so that's why it hurt. And that's why this, outside of anything else that has happened, is the wound, the true wound. All the other stuff doesn't matter. But this hurts. This digs deep because it's the truest part of who I am. And that needs to be felt. That, that feeling needed to be felt for me to rectify and to retrieve myself. And so in my story and in the dreams that have also helped me in this same process, uh, it's all about me retrieving myself. Because the one dream that I could have added to that story where my father did appear, it still was, it was me being reflected in him, where there was a, a completely false narrative that was happening in the, in the dream. And when I worked the dream, I realized that's actually my story being told through him. <laughs> it's not his story at all. Uh, and so it's all about me. It's all about me retrieving myself. It doesn't have so much to do with the person because we, we really want someone to blame, don't we? But it's really not about the blame because the blaming doesn't actually offer healing. It's the retrieval of ourself. It's that retrieval of your younger self that didn't know what it was losing in the moment that didn't have the strength to stand up for itself 
or to even know what was happening to itself, you know? And it's so incredibly beautiful the way that dreams walk you into this material and bring you into these spaces where you're able to go back into that space now being older, being hopefully wiser, and being able to tell yourself, no, that wasn't true. Those words, that event, those things that happened to you, that is not who you are. And that doesn't define you. It shouldn't define you. And it allows you to give yourself that grace that, I mean, would have been great to have in the moment, right? But at the same time, moments in all of their fleeting glory are so hard to know how to navigate in the moment. So I hope that you utilize your dreams in an effort to retrieve yourself. Because in my opinion, and in my years of doing dream work, that's absolutely what they are constantly gearing me towards trying to do, at least personally. That's been my path with them. And I know if you feel like you're stuck in the past, in some part of your past, that your dreams are probably already trying to take you there if you're not aware of that. But if you soften yourself and you open your willingness, like we've talked about, they will take you there and they will take you there tenderly and I wish you the best I do wow that's really something it's it's it's, it's stunning isn't it that yeah. you know um when I work this dream all the feelings were there it's speaking with it with you here and I know it's in a public venue it's all the feelings are alive, the tenderness, the pain, the fear that we realize we can be with all of this. And it's actually the juiciness of our life. And we can be with it. We mm. can be with it. Yeah, I thought the, the image of the war zone was so striking to me. Like I didn't I didn't know much about your relationship with your mother, but the scene is painted pretty obviously <laughs> man that's i mean we spoke earlier that my dad yeah. was a prisoner of war and um we all would say that we all were prisoners of war wow we were all prisoners of war wow wow <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's something. Wow. And, you know, I'm thinking as we're, we're deep in this is that um, when we talk about um, ways of healing and, and coming back to wholeness, that this experience of mine and everyone listening will have their own, that we can be in a way where we talk about it which is a which is a kind of therapy we talk about it we keep it up in our mind we rationalize we defend we explain um and yet the dreams take us to a different place what's mm. the feeling of living in a war zone what's the feeling of of um living under a cruel divisive regime as a, as, as a little girl on up no wonder no wonder 
there were frozen pools. Yeah. It wasn't safe to feel. And so the dreams say that um, we don't talk. It's, I'm not saying this well. It's not the talking about it that heals. And I'm saying this from my own experience. What I find for myself and the people um, whose dreams I work with, it's the feeling through it that brings us the healing. Just what we've been saying th- this whole time is that it, we recover this capacity to feel great grief, to feel great fear, to feel great pain, terror, and to feel great love and great joy. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because I feel like, uh, see if I can even remember, I just had a flash of something, but let's we'll see if I can even articulate it. Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of us end up either feeling like maybe we were conditioned as young people to not feel like we could move into those grief spaces, like we didn't have the the safe place to even process that kind of grief. And I mean, for me, looking at this dream, it that feels like your your soul giving you a safe place to process that grief i think that's it's so amazingly beautiful to me and uh to think that all after all that time that you were able to go back and i mean you're pictured here as the little girl mm-hmm. and that you were transported back into time like that to be able to be that little girl and to feel that little girl's feelings that were totally valid and yeah to to be held in that space and to know that we got you here <laughs> mm. i love i love your phrase the soul gives that space and um i don't know if you know who maladoma some is a teacher from west africa that died a couple months ago um and a human being too he has his flaws but one thing he said that struck me so much he said upon his first trip to new york he said he was stunned he said because the sidewalks of new york were saturated in unfelt grief saturated in unfelt grief and i think that that describes so many of us yeah it wasn't safe to feel our grief. And again, not because um, the people in our lives are bad people, but they were broken as well. Yeah. They, we didn't, we aren't, you know, um, I think, you know, I'm a hospice volunteer and their dream specialist. Mm-hmm. And I work with the dreams and visions of the dying. And we don't, we don't know how to be. We're, we're a death phobic society, but we also don't know how to be with um, these these essential feelings of great pain or great fear we want to fix it we want to fluff it up whereas our dreams are saying let's go for it feel it feel it and so when i work with people who are you know days and weeks from dying what's coming through in their dreams is this this desire to speak of these places Hmm. i'm afraid I'm grieving. That's what's coming through. 
which wow. means it, it wants to come through every night to every one of us. Yeah. You don't have to wait till end of, 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 of a lifetime. Hmm. Yeah. And I think it, it also comes back to the, the safe space, kind of like what you had talked about earlier, where me being willing to be vulnerable gives you permission mm -hmm. to go deeper yourself. And I think if our parents or our family members or any important people in our lives that we didn't feel were willing to go there also, then we didn't necessarily feel safe enough to go there with them. And yeah, it's just, I think it's, it's a tragic, super tragic that that's the case. Um, and it also is it's tragic when people say that they're willing to be that space for you. And then as soon as you start unloading on them, mm. uh, they, they don't know how to be with their own grief that it pokes all kinds of spaces within them that it, they all of a sudden are not a safe space. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, doing dream work if we could ring this bell one last final time at least where um as hard like like we've said like this work is hard no matter mm -hmm. how comfortable we sound talking about this like as even with all of the years that i've been doing grief work and shadow work and stuff like that that every time i get hit mm -hmm. <laughs> with a new new level of something or whatnot it's it sends me for a loop it really uh, uh it it takes a lot to to want to move into some of those spaces for sure and it it gets easier the more you do it but it still is a doozy um but man it's so rewarding that i hope that everybody listening here today uh if you're feeling any trepidation based on uh what you've heard here today to just really know that the sweetness that comes along with moving into these spaces and to being held by the dream and by safe people that you may be sharing the dream with uh yeah that if you can find a container that uh if you have people in your life that you can share the dream with uh that's that's definitely encouraged uh, but just the dream itself is a safe place in many mm -hmm. regards of like we see here with Mary's Mary Jo's final dream, just how tenderly that man walks her right into the space, drives her into this war zone and allows her to feel all of that once again um, is just a blessing. It's like that's a hard <laughs> a hard as hell blessing but man i'm sure as you've worked through that man i'm sure that it's just a dream that you cherish to no extent it is it is and as we're saying and i'm glad we're not um uh, softening this in any way in any way this is this is bone rattling fetal mm. position take us yeah. to our knees work and yet as we do it um i think you you're saying it gets easier and i think if there's a quality of easier it's because 
what's growing there is the trust our dream our, uh, of our dreams of mm. this this way of looking at what's underneath the willingness yeah. you know a lot of us go through life with will which is kind of a, a white knuckled way whereas our dreams just say are you willing to feel here and if not it doesn't it's always our choice but in the willingness to do it the trust deepens and deepens again yeah. and we can take the hit and take the hit because those are very healing hits <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love that yeah the willingness um the softening of the edges yeah i, I think willingness is really the most appropriate word yeah because it asks a lot it definitely asks a lot for you to go into those spaces because a lot of those spaces are spaces that we have put all kinds of armor against having to feel mm. and the unsheathing of that armor and allowing yourself to feel that pain which is valid it's it's valid pain regardless of how maybe you feel like you've gotten over it at this point or you've muscled through your life in such a way that uh that you don't need to go back into that pain i hear that kind of stuff um, where it's like oh it's in the past i don't i'm trudging forward that kind of mentality uh man but that that part of you that is still kind of stuck because of this unfelt grief i just really love that 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 term um yeah you get yeah i mean how, how much dead weight do you want to pull around in your life <laughs> oh man and and as we know from our dreams that they, they will not let it go <laughs> and so so if we're going to be in a relationship with them know that they are a broken record yeah. and so we're willing to look and and um yeah they i've often felt they will take nothing less than all of me hmm. they want all and so it's a constant laying down i may pick it back up again but it's constant laying down and this this movement and dreams are responsive fields and so as i can meet that encounter then then the dream responds in that way the subsequent dreams respond that's so for me um back to the elk dream that again i didn't feel my pain there were the frozen pools but there was a willingness in me. I realized there was something here. I had no idea. It was way bigger than I was mm -hmm. in that very first dream. And the dreams responded. Well, here it is. Man. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, So let me just get the timeline right here. So your second dream that you shared with us with the elk, you said was the first time that you had done a dream work session with anybody? Yes, yes. Now, were you doing, were you already engaged in dream work before then? I was not, um, I had studied. I, I mean, I can really be a self-directed student. So I studied everything I could find about okay. dreams, um, all the different schools, approaches. Colorado has different dream schools, but none of them were calling me in, in the way I, wanted that I knew would ring true for me. And then I did hear an interview um, with Roger Kamenetz, who spoke about dreams from this way that we're speaking today of soul and love and recovery and healing and images. And as I said earlier, I'd never done any kind of therapy or anything like that. And 
I thought, I got to call this guy. And that got, set my feet on, on this way of working with dreams. And now I am a, um, a teacher of this, we call it natural dream work. Um, I helped found, found natural dream work. And this is, this is the approach we use with dreams. Wow. This, this conversation and relationship with, with our dreams. Yeah, so they they held no punches. You were like, all right, I'm willing to <laughs> no, no. <laughs> to take no. a step in this new direction. And yep. then they were just yep. like, here you go. Because I think the, the the true part of me, who I really wasn't aware of, but remember these dreams had been alive in me my whole life. I'd recorded them. I didn't understand them. I, I imagine that that other side, uh, you know, my unconscious is going finally. And th- <laughs> they, were go- they were going for it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm very glad they did. <laughs> yeah, I feel like my path is the same way. Like I... I was launched into dream work through a spontaneous lucid dream that I had that totally like broke me wide open. Like I Mm. had woke up in my exact same apartment and there's like a whole story here, but essentially it just seemed really off. Like there was something wrong. And I walked out the front door of my apartment and it was a completely different world. And it just like shattered me in such a way that uh was just i just couldn't shake it after that i woke up and was just like oh my god like um because eventually i did realize i was dreaming as i walked out into that new world and so in that dream i had two choices so i guess to give a little bit more backstory that my roommates were home and they were partying and drinking and smoking and they were trying to call me to them and that's what felt wrong in the dream and I just couldn't take it. There was just some the siren that was going off inside of me that was just like, this is not right. This is not right. And I wing out the front door and it's a totally different world. And so, I mean, looking at that dream, I had a choice to make. I could continue the way that my life had been going. Um, or I could walk out this door to a whole new world that's available to me. And I did. And But I had no way of really knowing how to find people that were into dream work mm. at that time i was only 19 mm. oh. and so i like figured a lot of this out on my own as i went over the course of like five six years and i think at like six or seven years in i actually started finding people online that were doing really incredible work and i don't think it was until a lot of my shadow work really started that I really started to find my groove with understanding how how to work dreams and how to understand them. I think you need like a certain number of years in undoing dream work before you start to notice recurring patterns and how this sort of dream happened back in that time period of your life and what it meant for you then and what this what this might mean for you now as it's showing back up, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, then all of a sudden, like, some gear flipped, and all of a sudden, (laughs) the dreams were just like, all right, I think you know enough now to to really set you in motion here and doing the the hard work that we've been just slow cooking you for. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I would say incubating. They're just... 
And, you know, I want to say and reflect back a little bit to you, Steve, that this so shines through in being in conversation with you. Um, your heart comes through, your soul comes through, your capacity to, to, to deep listening comes through, that in answering this call, it, back to that word I used in the beginning, it's almost this way of remembering. We, we kind of have an amnesia. And um, there's a great word, anamnesis, which is un, means unforgetting. And our dreams help us unforget. Yes. And you in this remembering, hey, I have a choice. I can stay with the partying. This, and it's not a judgment, mm -hmm. right? I can stay, I can go this way, or I can go out into this new world. And just like Frost's poem, right? And that made all the difference. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for saying all that. That really means a lot to me. Um, you answered your call. And that's, that's, that's always beautiful to see. Because it's not easy to answer that call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially if you can kind of, you start getting a sense of really where that might take you. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, God. Yeah, for anybody out there who's curious i mean it really has made all the difference i mean i'm sure mary joe would echo the exact same thing i mean walking the dream work path and being open to learning so much about myself that i don't know if i would have ever gotten had these experiences not kind of came to me at night like that and really worked me as hard as they have i no idea where the trajectory of my life would have went had I not walked through that door, you know? Wow. The, the, there's These are these touchstone dreams, aren't they? Yeah. Where we say, where's the, you know, if we speak about the arc of the unfolding of our work, that here's a touchstone, the, the sapling in the, coming through the mm. man, the, um, the choice of stepping out staying or stepping out into a new world that that we answer these calls and it really is um and i think you'll agree the work of a lifetime yeah the work of a lifetime yeah and it's just so i, I just really love the way that dreams uh, yeah i think you said it best when you said the anamnesis how do you say that word anamnesis anamnesis and just the unforgetting yeah. And just like the way that it reveals you to yourself mm. so potently all the time in your own special sort of way, just like, I think that's the most like tender part of dream work is just how it knows you so deeply and it knows exactly what to give you to have you make those connections that you need for you to discover it for yourself i think the the metaphorical nature of dreams is so potent for it doesn't want to just tell you who you are it wants they, you it won't we wish yeah. it would <laughs> just know, tell right? me what to do right <laughs> you know as in education uh, you, you maybe remember this um we used to have what's called iep individual education plan in education where each because each all kids learn differently of different learning styles so you'd focus on what each kid needed to learn and that's how i look at our dreams they're not a, a one size fits all 
Hmm. They are so individualized to each of us. And again, um, you, you mentioned the word special. We are special, each and every one of us. And the dreams know that and mm-hmm. want us to remember that. And oh, as Joseph beautiful. Campbell says, the the gifts you have to give to this world, Steve, can only be given by you, only. And if it's not given, the world misses that. The gifts I may have to give to the world can only be given through, through me. And each one of us has that unique way to, one, we first get to have it come home to ourselves, which is so important because then it's authentic and thorough and true. And then it can't not, it can't not flow out into the world from us. Yeah. And I think if we're being truthful in our relationship with our dreams, that they, they call out, out of us that special thing that we are here to, to share with this world in such a beautiful way that to me has always affirmed what I've secretly always hoped. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, just there's something so sweet that they're invested in us. They're invested in us truly realizing our truest potential and and invested in us cultivating a depth of relationship that it knows that like with your first dream that we're longing to reconnect with that there's something so pure and so true that it wants us to touch base with again that we may have forgotten in your word longing that that's a beautiful word because that mm. too keeps that longing is what's yeah. keeping something alive in us even if yeah. it's if it's ineffable and we can't name what it is but it's there isn't it we yeah. most of us know there's there's something there's something there and how do we find it and um, there are other paths but i would say for myself um even being a lifelong meditator which is wonderful for me the, that way home has been through dreams yeah i agree i definitely agree with that well i think that's a beautiful place to stop so mm-hmm. man thank you so much for everything you offered here today and just your absolute sweet and tender way of relaying all the information you did it just was a true blessing and an honor to have our first legit conversation in this manner (laughs) and i and thank you and um i just want to reflect back and say uh i have been with you this morning in what we ache for and that is a sacred conversation Mm -hmm. a sacred and vulnerable conversation and so again thank you thank you for providing this for me this morning for the other dreamers that you speak with and for those that that take the valuable time to listen to these kinds of conversations and then find them for themselves well thank you i really appreciate that it's always my honor it's kind of like what jason said yeah we're like the sacred keepers of people's Mm -hmm. most special dreams and that really is such a deep honor of both of ours it really is so thank you for 
coming on and sharing yours. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Steve. Wow, what an episode, huh? This is your co-host, J.M. DeBoard, and I've been sitting here listening to Steve and Mary Jo go back and forth, and it just was like a revelation to me, some of the things that they said about getting to the heart of the dream. Listening to Mary Jo talk about a dream is like listening to a true poet describe an amazing view or a personally significant event and all that it feels like even decades later. This eye on a dream, the eye that truly feels into it, gets little attention in traditional schools of dream analysis. And ironically, I think that they fail to see a dream's truest importance to the dreamer. Listening to Mary Jo, I realized that as a longtime dream worker and creator of the Dreams 123 process of dream interpretation, I don't emphasize the poetry of a dream enough. I overlook its importance too. A poet listens closely to words and phrases, and students of the poet's eye on a dream hear how someone describes a dream and follows them to associated ideas. Like when Mary Jo takes Steve's sapling in the dream about the impaled man and finds in that image words like tender and young and fresh and vulnerable. And by doing so, she lends him her poet's eye to view his dream anew and find in it layers that he hadn't previously known. Her focus only on Steve's words and phrasing strips everything else away. No talk of what happened in a dream and what it might mean, like in traditional dream analysis. Instead, a fleshing out of the feelings brought out by the experience. As Mary Jo says, or maybe I'm paraphrasing her here, the dream views from the heart instead of from the head. And if you really want to understand a dream, view it from the point of view of the dream itself. Mary Jo and Steve speak of retrieving lost parts of oneself, another priority of highest importance for a dream. We lose parts of ourselves when we don't show up for ourselves, or we don't give our best for those closest to us, and when we do things because we don't know better yet. The dreaming mind wants the lost parts of ourselves to know that all is forgiven and it's safe to come home now might be scary at first, but our dream self is always with us. We are never alone. Listening to the two of them helped me to remember a dream where I became lucid and touched everything around me 
and everything I touched gave off a feeling of rightness. Like this is how I'm supposed to feel, and every moment of my life that I don't feel like this is an opportunity lost. I said to myself, I want to remember this feeling when I wake up. There's a grief in realizing how much life has passed without that feeling. The great voice of the soul, author Thomas More, says that dreams feel like home. They may even show us what home is like for the soul, which wakes up with us every day in a place that doesn't feel like home, a place where people, by and large, don't live from the heart. Well, after listening to Mary Jo and Steve, I don't want another moment to go by of not living from my heart. For my co-hosts, Steve and Wine, I'm J.M. DeBoard, and we want to thank our very special guest, a big heartfelt thank you to Mary Jo Hyen. Her website is her name.com. That's Mary Jo, M-A-R-Y-J-O, Hyen, H-E-Y-E-N. Mary Jo is a certified practitioner of natural dream work a process developed by the acclaimed poet and author, Roger Kamenetz. I know Roger and his daughter, Kezia, and they are awesome people. They live from the heart, and they teach other people how to find the heart in their dreams. Mary Jo is very well known in some circles because she's developed a specialized practice to help people who are at the end of life to process their dreams. As she says during the interview, they find parts of themselves that are just eager for expression, that want to be acknowledged. They find things within themselves that need to be reconciled before they go. There is a patient listening that's required for someone to sit there at the bedside of someone who's in hospice, someone who knows these are their final days, their final weeks, and to be able to keep your heart open to that person, to feel with them, to experience with them, and to help them in that transition into the greater dream, what we call the afterlife. I give huge props to Mary Jo for doing this work. And ironically, I had run across her work before Steve told me that he wanted to interview her and that they were friends. I had read some of her work about the dreams of people who are dying, and I was really touched by it. And I want to say personally from me to Mary Jo that you've made me want to just throw out everything I think I know about a dream just dig into the heart of it. I think that you've taught me more than any of our other guests that I can take with me as I work with other people with their dreams. 
I want to thank you for that. I'm J.M. DeBoard, J-M-D-E-B-O-R-D.com. I'm also known as Rat Owl on Reddit and at other places online. Rat Owl, the Radical Owl. And my co-host, my soul brother in the dream, Steve Erninwine. AQ, as an Aquarius. AQ, the dream walker. He's all over social media. And he's got an awesome album out of music that he created based on his dreams inspired by his dreams and sometimes given to him whole cloth while he was asleep and in that other place that we know as the dream world if you want to find us and you want to find mary joe of course there will be links in the show notes we want to thank all of our listeners for continuing with us for listening closely to these interviews and learning that dreams truly can shape us. To each one, teach one. Pass on what you are learning, please. And share this podcast far and wide. It's getting out there and it's reaching the people that it needs to reach. We want to wish you, you've heard this before, Nighty Nights!